Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. This is episode 58, and 58? I... 58, and that dul- the dulcet tones you just heard <laughs> are of my wonderful friend, Ali, and co-host, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. Hello, AJ Conrad. How are you? I am. I am doing well today. Um, so I, we- I, I am lost in a time vortex. We. I lost an hour of my day today. Yes, this is always a tough time of year for the Conrad. And when I say the Conrad, I mean me. Um, We're yeah. referring to the timey-wimey phenomenon of springing forward that happens here in um, most parts of America, North, the United I, States of America. I have to say, I wish they would just leave it this way and not mess with our yeah, time. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, Conrad. We're not like farmers anymore who like need to get up at a certain time. Um, well, the most of our population is not farming. And, and, you know, during winter months, I feel like we still need that time at the end of the day more <laughs> yeah. so than in the morning. Oh, we, totally. we know winter is going to be depressing in the morning, so I feel like... Just give us the extra light at the end and make everybody a lot happier. I wonder if the rates of depression would go down if they did that. (laughs) Well, you know, um, as you might have guessed, today we're talking about standard time and daylight savings time in our (laughs) crossover chamber. (laughs) Yes, yes. No, no, no. Uh, What we are talking about today, though, um, is, is another interesting phenomenon that talks a little bit about um, technology and our interaction with technology and, and other different things in our society. And it is um, the television series Black Mirror, which is a British television series um, created by Charlie Brooker. And it uh, recently has been added to Netflix and has been getting a lot of acclaim. Um, the original run was, at least for the first season, I think, was in December of 2011. Yeah, so right. the U.S. is a little late to this, although I do have many friends that have recommended this to me. It took me a while to get young Mr. Matu on the boat with this. Well, and, and as often is the case, you told me about this and got me into it and said, well, it's, it's just like a modern day Twilight Zone, which is what we're going to be talking about in our crossover today mm. chamber today. We're going to do Black Mirror versus Twilight Zone and then uh, talk about top five anthologies. And that's something both of these shows have in common, Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, both anthologies. And um, both of these shows are a form of social commentary. I, I was uh, in the research here, I kind of um, figured out and found out what the, uh, what the title means and it's the reflection that comes from an electronic screen whether it's mm-hmm. your monitor or tv or cell phone and that's what this or tablet whole, or tablet that's what this whole show is about it's about um it's the social commentary of what could happen if we take what's going on in society right now, take it to its logical extreme and have things kind of go awry just a little bit as they, as they sometimes can happen. And what we end up here is um, a show that is is very piercing in its social mm-hmm. commentary. The show's creator has said that he wants to create, you know, that he um, – he said, Game of Thrones is a brilliant, warped mirror of European history and the ways of power and politics, but it tells us nothing about the way we live now. I'm sorry, that's not the author. That was uh, one of the reviewers. And um, 
Actually, that might have been the author. I need to check on that. But he wanted to create, quote, a more immediate, relevant, and uh, and daring than anything else that's on American TV. Oh, no. Sorry, Conrad. I'm getting really timey-wimey here. That's also... That's okay. (laughs) I can hear your voice. Did you get any of your... your your boba? Uh, no boba today. I wish I, I wish I did. But That's th- what the th- problem is. <laughs> this is what I think. Yeah, you're, th- what I was trying to say is this is what's so unique about this is um, other people have pointed out that the, we've got great stuff on TV right now, really great stuff like Game of Thrones, like Walking Dead, but. All of those things are so far removed from the world that we live in right now, and there aren't really many shows that are commenting on the current state of affairs. And this is a very immediate, very relevant, very daring, very tough at points social commentary on our reality. I haven't seen anything like this, Conrad, since um, Battlestar Galactica. I know, and it's it is. It's extraordinarily well done. The production level is very high. The writing is very good. Um, it's, as you said, it. I think you're right. More of the shows today are much more of an escapism type of show. So as you mentioned, more of a fantastical um, thing, just, just generally. I mean, we've got, you know... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Flash, um, the Marvel, you know, a lot of the comic book films or movies that that came from the films or from from different graphic novels. We've got um, or we got like Mad Men or Mad Men. But again, it's not commentary coming from the 60s. Right. But it and it's drawing those parallels. But it's not we don't really have. I mean, other than Modern Family, which isn't exactly, I mean, it is social commentary, but it's just of a different type. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, and, and community and all of those shows. So, um, this is, is definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting concept. Um, it has gained the attention of a lot of, a lot of folks, including Mr. Stephen King, who said a lot of good things about it. And I think, um, some of what he said, uh, I, I think, I feel like that's the first time I had heard about it because he made some comment about it saying how well thought out it was and mm. drew some parallels between that and Twilight Zone, which I think is easy to do. Um, so, you know, I, and, you know, it took me a little while to watch this. I not just because I, as I said, like, like a lot of the stuff I like to watch and maybe I'm one of those people that it's just sometimes when things are a little too close to, to home, I don't necessarily I don't. I don't want to sort of get depressed by it. <laughs> I I kind of want an escape. Uh, sure. So maybe so maybe this is some reflection of of my viewing habits as well. And yes, I do include Walking Dead in that. That is not a reality television show to me. So um, <laughs> you know, well, it's and true. We're, there's not much here. I mean, as as people who discover Sherlock and are like, oh my gosh, BBC Sherlock, this is amazing. And then you're like, wait, there's only three episodes a season. Similar thing here. Those British people, we're talking about a uh, two seasons, three episodes each, and a recently aired um, a recently aired Christmas special. Those Brits love their Christmas specials. Christmas special starring John Hamm, who was a fan of the show and approached the creator and said, hey, can I uh, star in anything over here? So only really seven episodes. 
Um, what we are going to do is we're going to be talking about uh, the first season in a non-spoiler way. Here's why we're doing this, Nerd Hour listeners. We really do want you to experience this show. Um, we want you to ex- – well, both. We want you to experience our show. But more importantly, we also want you to experience Black Mirror. So we are going right. to be talking about the premise, but we're not necessarily going to be spoiling yeah. these things. And we want to make it, – it, this show works best if you go in cold. Right. Um, so oh, we're going to keep that. Also, I'm going to read the tweet that Stephen King did about this. Oh, this yeah. is like at the end of December. He, he had said, love Black Mirror, terrifying, funny, intelligent. It's like the Twilight Zone, only rated R. <laughs> that's that's so, a really great. That's pretty. That's, that's a pretty good. Um, so so I liked that. Um, he had mentioned it before, though, in some talk as well. I think I don't know, but in any case, um, it, it's that's. I think that's a pretty good synopsis. No, like I think a, that's a, a great synopsis. Charlie uh, Charlie Brooker. Now I found the quote I wanted to say earlier. He he calls the show like a box of dark chocolates, and he says <laughs> that's about right. <laughs> he says. Um, you know, I like technology, but Black Mirror is more about the consequences, how we misuse it. Um, and he says his goal is to deliberately unnerve the viewer. Well, he, he succeeded there. And I, I'll talk a little bit <laughs> more about that. Um, but are you ready to, to dive in? Yeah, let's let's explore this. And um, again, we're not really going to talk about spoilers too much. We're going to give the v- the premise of some of these first season episodes just because we want you to experience this cold. And this is what is, will be revealed in the first five minutes of each episode. So we're not really spoiling anything here. Um, I'm going to come out right here. Um, very clear on my end, Conrad, this is some of the best TV I have seen in a long time. I would agree with you on that. And it is thought provoking. Television? Absolutely thought my my only my only sort of um, negative comment about it yeah. is that I do sometimes feel like the messaging that it does is a little bit hitting you over the head with it. Um, so I think it's I gotta, great. I, I I pretty strongly disagree, but I want to oh, hear, okay. hear what okay. you That's okay. Like, I feel like they kind of go so far into giving you the message that it's like, yeah, no kidding. And I feel that annoyed me a little bit. Um, as you know, one of my pet peeves is television treating people as if they're not bright enough to get it. And I yeah. feel like they didn't need to, they could have been a little bit more subtle, um, but but overall, I do think it was great, but I did find it um, – it's thought-provoking and it makes you think about it later. Um, it is not warm – it does not give you the warm and fuzzies. So I will caution any audience member oh, about that. It's, it's not – I mean, this is a show that is a, a warning – about yes. What it's a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary the, tale. They're all cautionary tales. Yeah. So in each episode, different cast, different premise. Maybe it's in the same universe. I hope not, because boy, the Zadablik universe. Um, uh, but it, each episode is is different. You can pick up anywhere. And why I, I um, why the show really works for me is. Um, it's not a the episodes I don't think are simple messages about technology is bad, and that's what I think most social commentary when it comes to technology has been. Um, that's one of the reasons why I liked her so much. And we, you and I talked about Spike Jones as her. I think it's our second 
episode, and we both enjoyed that film a lot, partially because it didn't treat us as if we're stupid, and it didn't have this simple message about technology. I like what um, Wired Magazine had to say. Wired has a really nice binge guide to watching Black Mirror, and it uh, introduces you to the show, the premise, and all of that without really giving anything away. And to Wired's credit, there's a few episodes where they where they say, we're not going to tell you anything about this episode. Go and cold it to this one. Yeah. Um, but here's what they say. Um, they say technology, uh, these episodes don't scream technology is bad. They're not too far removed from contemporary life. They're not too familiar either. Instead, they quietly, diligently burrow into the heart of what's so terrifying about tech to begin with, our tendency to make stuff that caters to our worst selves. And that, friends, is what dystopian science fiction is all about. Mm-hmm. This is why this show works so much for me, Conrad, is it? it is a such a strong return to the type of science fiction I crave, the type of science fiction we saw with Twilight Zone, we saw with the original series of Star Trek, we saw with uh, Battlestar Galactica, shows that are commenting on the big things happening now um, and shows that that are set um, in a universe that allows that. And I think a lot of what, a lot of what we've seen um, in genre TV is in in worlds that are really hard to relate to. And with all of these episodes, um, and I know we're not talking about second season, but with all of them, including the second season, it really feels like I could see this happening here if a few variables just kind of went askew. Well, and I also think that part of this isn't just about technology. And, like, of course... <laughs> It's it's a, a lot deeper than that. It's how humans interact with technology, and then mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. and also by, by, you know, because of how they're interacting with technology, how they're interacting with each other, or not, and that is something you hear constantly, just about in in general news stories and things like that. I don't know. I feel like there's articles coming up every day about how, for example. How if you look at your uh, your tablet or your iPhone or whatever, just that if you look at that before you go to bed, how it perhaps disrupts your sleeping sleeping patterns, which is true. Um, how the um, looking at updates on Facebook and Twitter sets off sort of the reward center in your brain. So that's why people get really attached to their phones and they have some anxiety before, you know, if they're not checking that. So you see people constantly yeah. doing that. And more recently, a study came it's out. It's kind of that like you, a, a slot machine, a little right, bit. <laughs> a little bit. And then more recently, and I don't know if you saw this, but there was an article about how they believe that there is people who check their phones more often are more likely to be depressed. So maybe they're looking for that reward to help, you know, sort of up their mood um, and that kind of thing. So, so they're... This is a constant thing that we're seeing every day, just even in little bits and pieces. You might not necessarily notice it. Maybe it's on a little, it's not as in your face, but these episodes are directly related to all of that commentary. It's, it's, uh, you know, not everything's bad. There's positive changes that happen as well. Uh, I think some of the, uh, some really interesting research looks at memory and the changes in technology that um, over the the history of our species, you know, once we had a printing press, the, uh, the emphasis on memorizing texts 
that sort of disappeared. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to do that as humans anymore. And what we see now, now that we have Google and now that we have smartphones, these things are pretty ubiquitous. Um, yeah, but the question people, is, is that a good or a bad thing? Well, it's, it's a different thing. You know, right. I mean, now you don't, people aren't memorizing information that can be easily looked up. It, they're just True. not. It's not really an important 21st century skill to, to know very, very specific uh, facts like that. What I think is a far more important 21st century skill is knowing how to find information and how to contextualize it and how to dissect those sources. That I think is um, a huge piece of 21st century liter um, literacy that we're finding young children really struggle with. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids who are six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, uh, they are much more um, much more trusting of any information they find online and don't really have that skill set yet of how to contextualize it. And so, you know, we change as a species. We, we get used to things and changes in the environment related to technology. Um, and that's, again, getting black to back mirror. Um, it's, uh, it, I like what New York Times had to say. They had a really nice review of this uh, where they say, quote, it does more than blame technology for our woes. It deals with the reality that no matter what gadgetry we might possess, our problems remain human. Right. It reminds us that technology probably won't enslave us, but it definitely will change us. Mm -hmm. And then even, even, you know, the whole, the whole sort of, not synopsis, but, um, when the creator was saying, he's like, this is like the idea is that it's it's 10 minutes. This could be us in, if we're very clumsy about how do we deal yeah. with technology, which I thought was a very, you know, sorry, uh, the, the way we might be living in 10 minutes time if we're clumsy, mm. um, which I thought was an interesting thing. Um, and, you know, I would say these episodes um, definitely reflect that um they are a little bit as i said i did feel like some of it was over the top and i don't want to go into too much of why but i always feel like there would be outliers do you know what i mean what do you mean um so just in talking about like specifically what where this sort of occurred to me or where I was sort of bothered by it was um, in the National Anthem, which is the first of the series. So l let's talk just a little bit about that yeah. without spoiling it, because uh, I honestly, the the problem I have recommending this show is people starting with episode one. Mm. I think the first episode is in for uh, a few reasons uh, hard to uh, hard to start the show just to introduce people to this first episode what was the name of it again of it uh, Conrad, the, national the national anthem, anthem. so the the premise here is um a beloved princess of um of the united kingdom has been captured by a um anonymous type of, and I don't mean anonymous like they're anonymous, I mean like anonymous like the hackers. Um, mm -hmm. This anonymous type of hackers meet terrorist type right. of organization. And they say, um, we are going to continue to keep her hostage and we will kill her if your prime minister um, uh, does not have sex with a pig and it has this broadcasted on live television. That's yeah. a premise. Well, we can kind of leave it at that, I think. Right. But also uh, they have a list of, of demands so that it can't be faked. 
Um, So there's there's that as well. And I, I, I would say, you know understandably because of the <laughs> the content of this particular episode um one of the things that that bothered me about the episode cuz it, it you know it it does the things you would normally expect it to do in sort of following public opinion and things like that and i mean i think that we and it deals a lot with the 24 hour news cycle and how things can turn one way the tide can turn one way or another in terms of of what the public thinks mm-hmm. and um and it addresses specifically how public figures react to those polls. Um, some of that to me was very heavy handed. And I just, I mean, I, so, so that was part of my issue with that is that I just, you know, I, I just didn't fully buy that hook, line and sinker. I understood the point they were trying to make with it, but it just felt a little much. I do agree with you that this as the opener, I think some people would probably see this and not want to continue on with this series. Yeah. Um, so I would say that if that's if you're not like already sort of in and dedicated to watching this, I, I would say if we had not been watching this for our show or, you know, I didn't have an interest in it before, I probably I would have been like, yeah, enough of this junk. So yeah, I I think there's uh, this episode had a bit of a sleeper effect on me where I appreciated it more after yeah after me too having seen season one and then definitely after seeing season two I think there's real interesting things it brings up with social media uh, like you were saying with public opinion I think it brings up. Um, some interesting ideas about nudity and leaked photos and Mm -hmm. how the public responds to that and how the public sort of takes ownership of that in some ways feels like they have the right to see this stuff. Wired Magazine had an interesting article about nudity and how um, given what's happening in the world, we might need to change how we view nudity and and, and, uh, and new levels of privacy. Mob mentality stuff, um, uh, de-individualization, de-individual, de-individualization, what happens when people feel like they're anonymous and how they're more wow. likely to do lots of uh, pretty heinous things in those kind of situations. Well, well, also in terms of, you know, you've have you ever driven down a, a highway and some yeah. traffic is, uh, is stopping and it's stopping because there's like an accident on the other side and people are rubbernecking. Well, and, and that it, really plays out in this episode. Right. Andre. So it's sort yeah. of it's that uh, Schadenfreund um Schadenfreude, really better when others feel blue, right? And it's it's something that unfortunately I think we see all the time, and it's it is I think just so um, so much part of what you see in your daily lives um, on social media and on regular media, and it's it's truly I think one of the ugliest parts of what has happened, especially um, with journalism these days. Um, I feel like a lot of the headlines that we see tend to trend more towards um, what I would consider to be yellow journalism. Um, And I know that this has always been a part of the, the, the way that humans have reacted and interacted with media. It always has been. It just feels like it's a little bit more, um, more in the public. um, I don't know. Well, it's, it, more, it's, it's more it's more part of the zeitgeist now. It's more I feel. vivid, I think. You, you um, with photos with leaked, um, leaked. And, and you know, I'll, because this is a British series, I will I will use a, a British 
uh, sort of phenomenon that happened. And this is with um, um, Kate, uh, the Princess Kate and and William and Prince William, when they were expecting their first child. You know, she she had horrible morning sickness, and the whole press is like camped outside of her going to like the doctor. You know, like like how much? And people are like, oh, she signed up for it. She's part of the royal. You know what I mean? Like like. And I just felt how awful would that be? to have every single bit of your life monitored like that and, and commented on. And, um, and I think that some of this particular episode is obviously talking about that or, or or reflection of that. It is. Sorry, go ahead. It is, I think, uh, the weakest episode. Um, It is, it is. Um, but I also just overall, um, you know, what was interesting to me about a lot of these episodes, um, which it's this is something that they're not it's just part of it and i also noticed this watching another series about the uk um and it tends to be part of the series even though you don't realize how much a part of it it's even part of um sherlock um the bbc sherlock and some other episodes but in the uk there is um there are cameras everywhere yeah Everywhere. Yeah. It is part of the fabric of your daily life, knowing that you are being monitored. And yeah. I think that that is most certainly part of the last episode of this series one, um, which is very, to me, yeah. just so disturbing. Um which, you know, it's called The Entire History of You. Well, let's jump into that because that's my favorite episode. Me too. Of I knew, I was like, I couldn't wait to talk to you about this so so why don't you go uh, well so um episode three of series one or for the american season one the entire history of you is probably the best episode of black mirror it's my favorite it's also one that um robert downey jr has bought the rights to the film rights to and is probably going to be turned into a um, a feature film which i totally see that happening and again without spoiling it um the premise of this episode is um essentially we we have a society in which you can have a um an implant um uh placed in your in your uh, brain and what this implant will do is it will record every single experience that you have and allowing you to sort of grain your memories. And mm-hmm. what, what you can do is you can replay any experience from your life verbatim exactly as you witnessed it. And not only that, but um, you can share it with other people. You can share these recordings. So think of, think of, uh, Google, Google glass. glass. Um, or there was, um, there was an MIT student who actually did this. He had a backpack. Basically, this is yeah. like years prior to, to Google glass and he was videotaping and it, it showed both, uh, there was a camera in front and one in the back. So it was like, he could replay all these different moments in his life. Yeah. And he was talking a lot about that because he met his girlfriend at the time and said that, after, you know, he didn't want to immediately view that footage because he felt like it would change his experience of yeah. having met her. So this episode reminded me immediately of that. Yeah, it's there's a in the advertisement to this memory chip. It's uh, the slogan, I think, is because memory is for the living, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. I which I loved there. Uh, again, we can't ruin these these moments, but there are 
so many there's one in particular where i was like oh my gosh yeah <laughs> like w- the implications of this of this type of technology are really fascinating. Uh, the, the society does a lot of uh, redos where you might be sitting around a table and you're debating something that's happened. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think my boss liked me. I think they were kind of, um, uh, I think they were mean to me. And someone else says, "Oi, do a redo, put it on the screen." Um, well, they don't really say it like that, but that's my horrible British accent. Right <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> and so they, so you can project the experience you had onto a TV screen, redo and, and, it, right? So your analysis of it is entirely different. Your analysis because is because your experience you, is different standing on the outside. Absolutely, and you can zoom into certain parts of the screen, zoom out, play it over and over. And what's what's so cool to me about this? Oh, and then. Uh, Conrad, not to mention the um, this ties into what you're saying about episode one. The police right. scan your memories to, to get make you security sure, clearance to make sure you haven't committed any crimes. Yeah, and which, that's and you're just opening up everything to them, and it's such a. I mean, to me, it's such a violation of privacy, but it's totally a, to me, it's totally a commentary on what we have become. I think very complacent about yeah. these days, yeah. um, and it's it's a nothing in this. It's a it's maybe what like a ten second clip. Yeah, where they do yeah. this, he's walking through a security gate. Doesn't they, even bat an eye. Nope, he's just Doesn't. all right here. Look, look at this. They do it, and they're like, all right, you're on your way. Yeah. and it's it's a really and then there's also there's an interesting example of somebody in this that ha- had her um, chip stolen from her because yeah. I guess you cannot get this everywhere. So in a different part of the world when she was well, traveling. And there's, there's a black market. There, there's some people right. who will uh, see it as a, as a fetish uh, to be well, able and to, to, your point about to the, read the, other people's memories. Well, and to your point about the nudity and how society views those things and, and how those uh, photos had been leaked um, a few months ago, um, their like different celebrity cell phones were hacked and and photos were put up of them. I think it's it's the idea that there's a black market so that people can trade in memory, but yeah. probably probably the more salacious salacious memories that people have, a salacious rather. Um, you know, I, I think that that was an interesting little piece, which I do think that they inject here. This to me was the most artfully done. Yeah. Out of all these and really was I had this one I I had to sit and just I kept thinking about um this is the one that that lived on in my mm-hmm. mind for a very long time and there's I think it's summarized nicely with a quote um that the main character in this episode says uh where he says uh that was a night that was a nice night well mm-hmm. it used to be right and so what we know about memories, um, and Conrad, I always get in hot water when I bring this stuff up because this is tough research for people to to sort of digest. But you know, our memories are very fluid. They're of course, not, they are. They're not photographs, and our memories change with time. In fact, every time memory, the, the best way I've heard it uh, explained to me is memories are like music. Mm-hmm. They are recreated and exist in that moment 
And it changes depending on your experience, just like live music. Mm-hmm. Live music is created, it's experienced, and then it goes away. And depending on where you are, that music's going to sound different. Depending on the mood you're in, it's going to sound different. Um, it, it, depending on the instrument using, it's different. Memories are exactly the same way. They're recreated every time you are thinking about them. Right. And the experiences you have, the feelings you have, all of that influence that. Your memories aren't accurate. We also talked about this when we were talking about nostalgia, that positive memories, they persist uh, longer than negative ones. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that quote, it used to be, that was a nice night. Well, it used to be. The changes, the psychological changes that happened in the society are what was just, uh, I was eating all that up and how many of these people have such a hard time being in the moment. And I think there's a lot well, of social commentary well, there. Well, there's social commentary there. And, and that's, you know, if you're, you're thinking constantly about your redos and about replaying this back for other people, are you interacting differently with people? Well, yes, of yeah. course you are. And then And if you look at, I mean, just talking about YouTube or Instagram or Tumblr or any of those different, um, those different things that we use every day, um, we're interrupting our experience in life to interact with the, with social media. Um, and this, this reminds me of what John Stamos posted on <laughs> Instagram. Did you see this? No, no. So John Stamos, um, Uncle Jesse from Full House was in San Francisco this past week. He went to the real Full House house that was uh, that was filmed for the show from the outside. Um, he took a picture there and hung out for a moment, and there was a young woman in front of him who was busy taking all these pictures of the Full House house, didn't even realize that Uncle Jesse was uh, right behind her. And he posted this picture, and he said, pay attention, turn around, be in the moment, and, and all of that. And, th- you know, this is a phenomenon many of us have experienced. Um, I see this... Every time I'm, I'm at a concert, which sadly isn't as much as it used to be, but you'll have a lot of people who are experiencing the concert through their cell phone screen mm-hmm. um, and who are recording it and all of that and having a much harder time being plugged in to what's happening around them and then afterwards reliving the event over and over again through video. And there's been some interesting research there about um, – our ability to enjoy these experiences and how photos of them and videos might be taken away from them. And you're also affecting other people, as you and I have discussed many times, our our experience in watching films in the theater. So annoying. So annoying because other people are not doing that and they're talking on their phone. I have seen people take photos or try to record part of the film in this dark, dark theater and... It absolutely affects other people, too. So you're not just affecting your own experience. You're affecting other people's experience. Yeah. You know, like if I could summarize everything I do in my day job as a as a clinical psychologist, it's to help um, everyone, despite whether they're experiencing anxiety or depression, whatever it might be, to be in the moment, despite whatever thoughts, feelings that they might have and urges mm-hmm. that they might have. That is my job in a nutshell. Oh and my gosh. Could you imagine if you are suffering from oh anxiety or, or especially social anxiety or any of those things being able to go, I think in some cases it would be helpful because maybe standing outside of it, you might be able to look at it a little bit more objectively. Yeah. But on the other hand, couldn't you see people basically taking 
moments that might be negative and just obsessing over and over well, again. That's often I one mean, of the th- one of the things we do with social social anxiety is we do uh, we do a lot of videotape work to help people get actual real world feedback because oftentimes their feedback is a little bit different mm-hmm. than uh, their perception is different than reality, and that's again that gets to this main core. Um, dialectic of this show is there could be benefits to technology on one end and at the same time there are negative consequences and I think that's exactly one of the things here. We could see so many times in our life when this could be beneficial but what we see in the society is they become they've lost all mindfulness they're not in the moment they tend to ruminate about the past Um, and we could, you and I could spend an hour talking about this episode, Conrad, because mm-hmm. there's there's so much to it, and especially talking about it, uh, talking about the spoilers, which we're not doing. I just oh, don't think we can man. because I do think you need to to watch this and experience I don't want to it. Do it. I know there's certain um, certain listeners out there who like experiencing the whole show despite the spoilers and um, maybe but most people I just don't. don't I just don't want to take away those no. moments but can we uh, can we jump into the second episode sure. um, the second episode <sighs> is uh, <laughs> what is that reaction Conrad? It, that was a it, really that, was a, one that was a really hard one to watch uh, yeah, um, and like, that's a lot about people interacting like it's sort of like of this series it's sort of like what would happen if everything was just taken to to the utmost extreme. So, yeah. for example, all those games you like to play online, um, and definitely uh, it reminded me a lot of Second Life. Um, so Second Life, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's, it's a game, um, a little bit like The Sims. Um, you create your own character. There is real money that you like banks and different things. It's a little bit similar to um, the world that is in um, Ready Player One. Sure. Um, and there have been cases. For example, there was a couple that got prosecuted because they actually let their child die, their real life child die, because they were busy playing Second Life and they were spending all of their money on these characters, these virtual reality characters, and living in that moment. So. Um, it's basically the idea, the concept behind this particular episode is what would happen if things were taken to the extreme and this just became the basis of society. So society basically became all tied in to interacting with media and all of your money was virtual, but every single thing cost and you had to kind of work it off by, by interacting with this and watching ads and, and, you know, think, it, I, it's like a souped up version of reality television and American Idol and all those things rolled into one. And it, it's super disturbing. This is the episode, I think, that is the uh, that really starts out and is most dystopian. I think the oh, other episodes... it's so hard. The other episodes, one of the things I love about this show is um, it begins and you're immediately in the world. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those ones where it started out and you're like, oh, okay, I'm in a dystopia. There's one other episode in uh, the second season that feels the same way that begins and you're like, oh, I'm in a dystopia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is this is clearly one of the ones that's harder. And it's it's got other, um, so it's got uh, definitely a commentary on 
um, American Idol, or you know, it was actually more on the X Factor or the the other British show, the Br- Britain's Got Talent. It's kind of um, a commentary on that mm-hmm. and how we view celebrity and how celebrity is created and how it's structured and how it's developed. It's also a commentary on our. Uh, some of our desire for acclaim and fame and how some of that is influenced by culture and how that comes to be. Um, there's, it's, it's got some interesting stuff with, uh, that are, it's kind of tying into Nintendo Mii's or your Xbox avatar and how those interact and what you're talking about with all the virtual crap that you can buy. Um, there's a great quote uh, uh, from um, uh, Climax. Uh, the faker, the fodder is the more you love it. Fake mm-hmm. fodder is all we can take now. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is this is a sh- episode that is hard to watch for many reasons. Is very engrossing. Is a really just visually, Conrad. This episode was. Beautiful. The oh, sets, it was it was great. The direction. Um it it was it it, it had the um Well and also has some some uh, some really uh some very well known actors. So it has uh Jessica uh Brown Finley, whom yep. I think most people would know from Downton Abbey. Yep. She she was uh Lady Lady Sybil. Um there's Daniel Kaluya, who I don't know if you ever saw the uh, the TV show Skins. No, never um, saw it's, it. It's like a teen drama. You should probably check out a couple of episodes of that. I I watched a little bit of that. I think there's you do, a British and American version, right? There is. I'd go probably with the British version. Um, but it's it's in very uh, it's it's a little bit um, hmm. it's it's a teenage drama, but it's an interesting one. Um, and much more dark than I think you'd see here. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. also Rupert Everett is in this, um, which I think everybody knows who he is. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, they, but you're right. The production value of this was amazing. They really drew you in to make sure, make sure that you understood what this world was about. Um, this one, I didn't feel, you know, I, I think again, it's sort of like every single thing costs. So you get a little squirt of toothpaste and that's costing something. Nobody really has material items here because there's no space for it. Um, everybody lives in this world where they have to interact with all this media and they cycle, quote unquote, to continue generating power for this whole society like there is you know there's very little personal space or privacy of what little there is you you just don't have a lot like it's very cramped um you never see the outside world here ever no you don't and that's that's what adds to the dystopianness right. of this episode so there there it's really artfully done which also means that to me it was one of the more disturbing of this series just because it was real enough or you could see things being real enough as as the creator of the show says it's like if if we're clumsy enough you could see this actually being reality which and i think it is a masterful piece of dystopian uh, science fiction yeah absolutely it, i would agree with that assessment this is another one that i think could, i could see 
very easily as a film. And I think episode two and episode three, um, episode two, 15 million merits and number three, the entire history of you. I think these are the strongest episodes, not just of the season, but of the series. Agreed. And, um, series two has some, some highlights. Um, Haley Atwell is in the, uh, who we know as, um, as, uh, agent Carter. Uh, she's in episode one. I admit right I haven't finished. I haven't finished uh, series two. So you're ahead of me on that. And yeah, I know that it, there's, I know that there was a really excellent um, Christmas special, I believe that came out this year, which I have yeah, not yet John watched Hamm. either. Yeah. So. The, the problem with the Christmas special is um, it's not really viewable here in the United States. You can buy it on iTunes outside the United States. You can view it outside the U S um, but it's not on Netflix. Everything else is on Netflix. But, you know, I'll say um, I did watch season two and um, the Haley Atwell episode is is interesting. The premise is uh, losing a loved one and what happens if you have an opportunity to stay in touch with that person in some degree or another. Um, episode two, White Bear, is similar to episode two, season one or series one, I should say, which is really dystopian and tough. Um, and episode three, the Waldo moment is, I would say similar to episode one of season one, which is, it's, it's a little heavy handed in its, uh, social commentary. So, um, uh, overall Conrad, I think anyone, anyone who loves, um, Twilight Zone needs to at least experience this yeah. uh, I think this if you, TV show. I think if you like that kind of an anthology and you're you're feeling like you want to think it's it's thought provoking. Yeah. Without question, but as I said, um go into this with a happy outlook on life because if you're not if you're feeling a little bit a little bit blue, the, I don't know that these are the best things to watch, no. Well, and I, I I honestly don't recommend binge watching this. I no, think you, I think you have to take time between because I don't yeah. think I, I think you need to think about them and I do think it it's it's pretty heavy to watch if you're binge watching this. I think this is hard to do, which I you know, I do think it's a reflection on the the level of production and thought that has clearly gone into these. I also think that, um, you know, there was the whole thing where David Moffat of Doctor Who and Sherlock fame said in terms of the episodes that he's very proud of with Doctor Who and um, is saying that he knows he has a really good idea when an episode would make a really good screenplay. And I feel like the majority of these stand up to that oh, absolutely. Um, so absolutely. so i i definitely think that this is this is an interesting and good thing to watch i i do think you, you're at least i needed something to counteract it a little bit because it was it was just it, it's a little bit hard because it's a little too close to home in some ways well and i would say don't binge watch it for those reasons as well as that it needs to be discussed mm-hmm. um these episodes bring up real world issues about technology and about how we use technology. And well, we- and also it it was bringing up, at least for me, it was bringing up things that I already was having discussions thoughts about and discussions yeah. about. Uh, Bill and I talk a lot about, and I think I've mentioned to you, sometimes I feel like social media is, I try to view it in a much more positive way. Things you and I have discussed before, how People that may have, um, for example, you know, when I was in school and I really loved graphic novels and I really loved different types of music and it was hard to find people 
or at least I thought it was hard to find people with those commonalities, but you can go online and find a community that's supportive and wonderful and that's into sci-fi and all of that stuff. Like, I think that there are very positive aspects of social media, but I also think the things that hold true in real life also hold true in the, in the virtual world, which is you can see a lot of bullying and a lot of, um, uh, gaining up on people, as you said, the accountability problem. Like if there is lack of accountability, people tend to behave in terrible ways. Like we have seen evidence of trolling and we've seen where people have confronted their trolls. Uh, Gamergate is a very good example of this. Yeah, yeah. And so there, I, I think you're going to find these things no matter where you look, whether it's in the virtual or world or in real life. But some of these were bringing up or or solidifying thoughts I had already about this, uh, about these matters, I think, did you find that to be the same for you? Um, in some ways, yes. Um, but what's, what's great about this show, I think, is it's, it integrates different elements of these things together. Like I, I've been mm-hmm. talking about, um, I think memory is the most fascinating area of psychology. Oh, it really and, is. And I've been talking about some of those things, but never tying them together in the way um, it was in this in the third episode of this show. Right. Or, I mean, I mean, Ali, when when we first met, I I think about meeting you, and you're wearing you know a Star Trek uniform. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> it's not like, true at all. I, like, you were I wearing- don't remember that. And then I was like, wait, was that the case? And that's <laughs> no. the thing about memory. See, that's, you, that's you can say something it. like that. And Inception it, is right. so much easier right. than the movie makes it seem like. So um, I, I really strongly recommend this show. Um, I think everyone needs to see it, to experience it, to discuss it. Um, and, you know, while you might have been considering some of these issues, a lot of people might not. And mm-hmm. I think especially for people who might be in their teenage years or early 20s, um, where so much of the technology that we're seeing in the show has been ubiquitous, it's always been there, um, to be able to see it in a different light could be very interesting. You and I have the... uh, experience of seeing these different technologies come online. You and I remember a time before the internet and the Dewey Decimal System and all that kind of stuff and how the world existed. Um, Not everyone has had that experience and we're having more and more people living on this planet that have always been living in an internet age. Uh, Well, and what about those places in the world where they don't have access to that technology? Yeah. Will will there be a shift? It, will there be a schism? Because the way people are developing who do have access to that technology is absolutely different. Don't you agree? So yeah, that would be a good episode. That's, that, that, that would be a very interesting episode. So anyway, no, I I, I definitely I, I respect and enjoyed watching these, but I was really excited to be able to talk to you about them because I do think that they need to be discussed. Well, why don't we... We've got a lot to discuss here, but I think, Conrad, you and I should enter the fifth dimension and explore the Twilight Zone. Oh, are you entering into the inter- into the infinite crossover chamber? I think I've I've I've, I've ventured beyond infinite crossover chamber, and I'm I'm here in the Twilight Zone. There's this Sweet. blinking eye and this ticking clock, and a mirror just shattered behind me. Let's let's do that. So we've got 
two epic series here. We've got Black Mirror taking on the Twilight Zone. The question today, dear listeners, is which series has more piercing social commentary? And worry not, dear nerdlings, we realize that the original run of Twilight Zone went from 1959 to 1964, and Black Mirror only has seven episodes spread across like four years. Um, but we're in the calibrate those things together and so we've got mr rod sterling's original tv show um and uh where where do you want to take things initially here conrad in the crossover well i think i've showed my hand a bit uh, just from some of my initial comments in our in our review but i i do agree with stephen king's assessment that black mirror is like the twilight zone but just a rated r version And so keeping that in mind, keeping in mind that what is more acceptable today, um, that the series, you can, you can show a lot more or be a lot more, a lot straightforward in some of the themes. I mean, we, we have, just just in terms of language and things like that, uh, our audience now is a lot more accepting of some of these things. And even if you're not accepting, you're still able to do that. Mm-hmm. I think when The Twilight Zone came out, uh, especially this was on network television, this is a lot more restrictive in what you can show. But that being said, I feel like the themes that they were showing and the stories that they were showing had to be a lot more inventive to to give that piercing social commentary. So my initial assessment is going to be the Twilight Zone, just because I think that they had to be a lot, uh, leave a lot more to the imagination and they had to be a lot more inventive in order to get their point across during a time that was extraordinarily restrictive. Well, I think the Twilight Zone is more broad in its impact. I Mm. definitely will give you that. Uh, One of the things that I really like about The Twilight Zone compared to Black Mirror is it has more of a broad focus. So some of the episodes are science fiction, some are more fantasy, some are really grounded in simple ideas that are much more speculative fiction. Um, Just about revisiting your childhood. No explanation Mm -hmm. how or why or what's going on here. But that just sort of happens. Whereas Black Mirror has a very specific focus and that kind of comes in from the name of the show. It's all about that reflection of technology on on humanity. Um, Twilight Zone, another way in which it kind of increases its broad appeal, um, it has a narration. It has right. an introduction. It provides you with some context introducing you to the universe that we're about to see in this episode. And then it sometimes ties things together at the end, sometimes making things more doom and gloom and sometimes making things more uh, tied up in a bow. And I think Twilight Zone, those kind of things make it more broad and a bit easier to digest. I don't know that that necessarily means one has more piercing social commentary versus another, but I do agree with you that limitations, especially limitations of what could be broadcast, often lead to a lot of creativity in how Rod Sterling and his production crew got to some of these themes and were able to say well, some of these things in the 60s. And some of, well, right. And some of those themes were big no-nos at the time. Absolutely. They were verboten. Yeah. Um, and nobody was really doing exactly what they were doing. And I, um, you know, this is something you and I have discussed before is that Twilight Zone, what an amazing show to have on. And this is one of the things that science fiction has always done is to 
to be able to to give the audience that social commentary um and this includes Star Trek and um and other other things that you and I love um some of the Ray Bradbury uh stories and things like that where um you're able to comment on something that is so hard to discuss in the current reality in the current world mm-hmm. but if you put it into a different world like into a dystopian future you know um it's it becomes an easier topic to discuss or people are able to reflect on it a little bit more easily because it's not quite as close to their own reality mm-hmm. um so i you know and i think twilight zone as you said they were on for such a long time. We're trying to compare this to a series that currently only has like seven episodes. <laughs> um, but that said, I do think it's trying to do a similar thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that the Black Mirror commentary is piercing, but I, I feel like Twilight Zone, just from the, the restrictions, did it a little bit better. Well, um, and, di- and treated the audience in a very smart way. So yeah. that, that's my assessment. I'm sticking to it. I mean, if you had to look, Twilight Zone had a huge impact on so many of the creators that went on to create other amazing things. It it did um, it had a huge influence on Star Trek. We we know that it had a huge influence on people like J.J. Abrams um, and on, on a wide variety of of folks. It's a big part of my childhood. It is if if I had to choose one, you know. Twilight Zone is coming with me to that deserted island um, where I will somehow magically have electronic power and a screen to watch Twilight Zone. But um, a black mirror, if you will. Um, If you had to choose one, I would choose the Twilight Zone. When it comes to piercing social commentary, though, I really think um, Black Mirror has much more of a specific focus and it it kind of has this scalpel like precision in what the show is doing the show's talking about technology that's all it's doing now it's examining that it's examining that from different perspectives but it has a very sharp focus and i think that leads to more piercing social commentary hmm. all right I'll, I'll, so so wait, are we in agreement or not? No, we're not in agreement, Conrad. I'm voting Black Mirror. <laughs> oh, really? Well, yeah. you know what? This is why I can't vote Black Mirror. I don't feel like it's really inspiring everything. And as you said, Twilight Zone with the broader brushstroke, there are some that are negative and there's some that are not. But there are very inspiring episodes, too. And thus far, I haven't really seen that Black Mirror does that at all why does, it why does inspiring need to be a part of the definition for social commentary how i find social commentary well is you know all- you know why because i think that humans as a rule need hope yeah and i do think that twilight zone does that better and just like there are negative things about some of these things that we use there are also very positive things and i'm not really seeing a bit of that i'm not seeing it at all and i'm seeing it just sort of it, Showing, showing ourselves through through the lens of what we're already seeing. And I don't think that that's as imaginative as the things Rod Serling did with Twilight Zone at all. He's showing many different spectrums of it. So, so in terms of social commentary, I feel like he is showing a more human experience than Black Mirror, which is very one-sided. I mean, if, if the question was really about 
it's it's I guess the piercing part of it that that I'm thinking of. I, I think the um you know Twilight Zone did this too, where it was talking about the the impact that certain advances might might have on humanity, and it raised these questions for discussion. Um, the thing about Black Mirror here is um, it's just <laughs> you're right. It's it's not optimistic, but it's raising these questions that I don't really think are happening elsewhere. Um, I think they are because we were just talking about how it's in the world every single day. It is. It is. But it's so easy to dismiss it because we use it so readily. And I think that's mm. that's one of the differences here is, um, you know, oh, yeah, I know I shouldn't look at my screen before I go to sleep, but I'm going to do that anyways. You know, like, sure, like. Oh, maybe you're going to do that anyways, Holly. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> a lot of these, it's it's easy to dismiss a lot of these health warnings. Okay, it's tied to this problem, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, it's not, I'm not going to change my behavior here because it, it's much more reinforcing than it is problematic. And it maybe it feels good in the moment, and that's why I continue to do it in the long-term stuff. Yeah, it'll cause me problems. But look, that's why we overeat. That's why you smoke. That's why you do a whole host of things that are bad for us. Um, the Big things, the big impacts on society are really hard for us to see because we habituate, we get used to these small changes in the environment. That's what made humanity humanity. That's what our, one of our greatest evolutionary strengths is we have this amazing ability to adapt to our surroundings. And we are going to slowly adapt to changes in technology. Um, I was talking to uh, the Smithsonian Magazine this week about Chappie, and one of the questions they asked me is, how are we going to get used to AI? What's the psychology of that? And I said, look, we may not notice the singularity as it happens because the gradual buildup to it will probably get used to a lot of the technology that happens there. It might look much more like her and what we saw in Spike Jones's film. Uh, Black Mirror allows us to really look at the logical extreme now and helps us to have that discussion in a way that in which that discussion isn't happening right now. Look, I think Twilight Zone uh, maybe, is the better Maybe show. the logical extreme, but of one specific uh, focus, as you said. So if it's just focusing on the one thing and the one theme, then how is that? Because it's not examining the other pieces that surround that. Really? Yeah. So so in that case, how is that really? I just don't feel like that is as piercing as social commentary. It's a one trick pony, so to speak. I think Twilight. So, you could say that about Twilight Zone, too. I mean, every Twilight Zone eh. episode is there's a person and everything's going great. And then suddenly that person finds that, you know, the universe is turned upside down and the cruelness of that universe is coming down upon them in a really. Not necessarily, though, <laughs> because it examines many different aspects of that. It's not always the cruelness of the universe. And I think that that's the point. I think sometimes it's exploring people's fears and showing that their fears are are mistaken or or taken into into a different place that isn't necessarily accurate. Um, I think you could also like take um, it, it, that's what it's always been about, and so it's not necessary. And that's what I mean when you have to have some kind of. It's just showing you a different perspective on life. I really feel like Black Mirror is showing things that we already kind of feel, 
and just kind of throwing it out there. So I don't feel like that's piercing social commentary because people are already commenting on it. Okay, well, let's think about this in a different way. Um, 20 years from now, are people still going to be talking about Black Mirror? And we we have to, again, it's an infinite crossover chamber. We've calibrated the episode differences, the number of episodes. It's not about quantity here, but will people still be talking about Black Mirror? I don't think so. Why not? Do you think Um, that's going to be dated by the technology? I think it will be dated by the technology. Um, I think that it will be dated by the themes. Um, As you said, I think that if the technology, the singularity, so to speak, happens, it's going to be so gradual. I think people will look back on this and just be like, because whatever happens, whatever will eventually happen. And, you know, this is example, like... Last year, everybody was saying, oh, Google Glass, that's going to be ubiquitous in X amount of time. And look what happened. It's, it just did not. It fizzled. It fizzled. Yeah. And I think it's, anyone who used gone. Google Glass would be like, oh, OK, this isn't going anywhere. This thing kind of, kind of sucks. Right. But, but from the outside and from what everybody was saying, sure. that was supposed to be something that was going to be part of everyday life. And now it isn't um, yet. But maybe it'll take a different form. And I think when people are looking back at Black Mirror, they're going to be, oh, look at how cute they were. Well, I think. Um, so, so I just feel like it, it's it's a commentary, but I just don't think it's as on point or it's it's not as as timeless as I think the Twilight, Twilight Zone is, is obviously so. timeless. I mean, it's it's spawned. We still watch it when the old episodes are on. I watch it. It's on Netflix. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them are still like you're you thought provoking and you're like oh and even now and looking through our lens here in the future so to speak i think that there is still commentary that is valid yeah I and mean, i don't i don't i don't think black mirror will be the same look there's some great classics like the monsters are doing maple street i think is is fantastic i have the beholder i think which you alluded to earlier mm-hmm. um time enough at last which always cracks me up these are really timeless shows they've spawned remakes um, there's been reboots. Time enough at last cracked you up. Oh yeah, weirdo. Yeah, well, I mean, now as an adult, it's like, oh no, but there was there was time. Now it's not fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <it's> just... <laughs> and then you know there was a movie. There's a a ride for goodness sakes at at Disneyland and and Disney World. Um, of course, time Twilight Zone is amazing and influential and timeless. And I think what we might look back at Black Mirror and be like, okay, this is where at this point in time what we were fearful of, and mm. look at what panned out and look at what didn't pan out. Um, but I do think in the weight of the social commentary, you feel it after watching Black Mirror right now. Whereas with uh, Twilight Zone, I think after watching an episode, you go, huh, well, that's really interesting. I never thought about things that way. Um, and it doesn't, the weight of the Twilight Zone episodes don't weigh on you as heavily as Black Mirror I does think, right now. I think it depends on the episodes you're talking about. So right. I think you and I are going to have to agree to disagree in this crossover well, chamber. Dear listeners, let us know Black Mirror versus the Twilight Zone, which series offers a more piercing social commentary. And with that, let's close up those doors on the infinite crossover chamber. And on to our top five. What are we talking about this week, Conrad? Today, we are talking about top five television anthologies. 
television anthologies. So what we're talking about here are things that have a different cast, a different uh, script, and different focus um, episode to episode. And, uh, you know, at first when we came up with this, I was like, oh, golly, Conrad, can I even come up with two names? And then I quickly realized, oh, there are quite a few right. <laughs> anthologies. They're right. not as common as more serialized uh, dramas or comedies or things like that. But we've seen quite a wide variety of anthologies on TV. I actually, as I was coming up with my list, um, and even though I was suggesting it, I thought the same thing as you, Ali. <laughs> so I was just like, I don't know <laughs> how many I can come up with. And then I realized that I actually could come up with quite a few. Yeah. And I realized that most of them were in the 80s and 90s. There haven't been quite as many of late. Of course, the Twilight Zone is there, but we're, this is off our list because we used it in the crossover chamber. Clearly, that would be my number one mm. um, if, if we were to, to put that out there. Um, but it just seemed like there were quite a few of these shows going on, um, many of whom I think were trying to, or using the Twilight Zone as as a uh, inspiration to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was there was quite a few few, especially like in the mid eighties, uh, that were going on, and there were some revivals as well. Totally. Um, so I uh, let's kick off the top five. Then, what was your number five? My number five is uh, one that might be a surprise to some people. It's the wonderful world of Disney. You know what? I I was going to put that on, and then I thought you would yell at me for cheating a little bit. Um, so I had it in my honorable mentions. But yes, that is a fantastic choice. It's a little bit of a cheat because sometimes they showed movies and, and right. Things that's like why that. that's why I kind of put it to honorable mentions. But you're right, um, and especially when we were uh, not when we because I'm older than you, but um, in the in the 80s and 90s, there were especially sort of more. There was one specific one called Exile, which was a little Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. And th- do you remember that one? Did you? I ever do. See it? I do remember that one. And that's yeah. that's what's so cool about the Wonderful World of Disney. And it r- had different names. You know, it kind of started as like a little bit of an ad for Disneyland, and then <laughs> changed yeah. to uh, Disney's Wonderful World of Color, and it kind of changed into all sorts of different stuff. And it ran for. 53 seasons Mm -hmm. um, ran for a very long time but it it featured sometimes original content sometimes uh, cartoons sometimes shorts sometimes movies um, lots of really cool stuff and I just I love the diversity of content it had I love that Walt Disney hosted it himself and then later after his passing uh, Michael Eisner hosted it. Um, it was less cool, but you know, um, there's, there's lots of really cool stuff there. And it, um, some of it is really nostalgic love. And it's interesting that it appeared on, uh, one network and then moved to NBC when they had color and then back to CBS and then back to ABC when ABC, uh, was bought by Disney. So it's got an interesting history. Um, and I think it had interesting, diverse content. Good, good. I think that's, that's absolutely a valid choice. Although, that's why I had the, I put in honorable mentions. I was going to talk to you a little bit about that, um, and I especially remember when I was especially when I was a, a young child and whatever that that theme coming on, and you would see the yeah. Disney theme in the castle, and there would be this whole thing about it, um, and it was really something that um, me and my siblings would look forward to on our very very fuzzy television set. Yeah, it was one of the few <laughs> channels we would get, and we'd have to like get the um, antenna to turn and make all these noises, which. I know, maybe a foreign concept to somebody like you living in the great techno 
uh, Valley of Silicon Valley. <laughs> so, <laughs> Techno um, Valley, a little bit different well, place than Silicon Valley. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but you know, you actually had cable, which we did not have. So, there you go. Um, my number five is a little bit darker. Um, so, <laughs> because we did not have cable, we would often, whenever we would go over to our friend's house who did have cable, um, we would we. It was basically like we would binge watch whatever we could that we didn't have access to at home. Uh, and one of those things that I used to watch, and I, it would give me nightmares clearly. But this is this is showing the darker side of of Conrad, and clearly, you know. I had early roots in the horror genre, but there was a sort of a series um, um, by Mr. Romero himself called Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, so I, this came up in my research, but I never saw it. I've, yeah, I've it was, it. I mean, it's not, it's clearly a Romero effort. It's, it is very cheesy. It's very gory, but in that horror kind of a way. And all the stories had that kind of, of the bent. Um and so, but I, it was one of those things I would like watch it to scare myself. And at the time, it seemed like it was so scary. Uh, looking back on it now, it was just like sort of that cheesy horror stuff. So, <laughs> but I had to throw it on there because I remember it was one of those things that my mom would definitely not have approved that we were watching um, because it would give me nightmares. So that ties into my number four. Yeah. Uh, my number four pick is Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, that was a good one. I, you know what? I never actually watched that one as much because it was a little beyond my time it was a little too young probably for you yeah you probably would have been not scared at this but it was just at the right age for me so this was a uh, canadian horror fantasy anthology tv series that was picked up by nickelodeon and aired in america so you needed cable for this um but this was just at the right age for me and we were talking about twilight zone earlier this is a group of young people who call themselves the midnight society and every week they meet to tell scary stories to one another and then what we end up seeing is this story that's being narrated but my favorite part about this is which I didn't even realize at the time but each storyteller begins their story by saying submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. Hmm. I call this story Blank, which is a nod to Twilight Zone. So what was cool for me about this, you know, a lot of the episodes have happy endings, like surprisingly happy at the end. So it's like a very scary thing for me. And then everything's okay. It would be like watching Psycho. And then at the end, things are actually quite all right. And everything was kind of you know, what you thought was happening didn't actually happen. But um, there were some darker episodes, and this was definitely the the better of the child-focused horror shows. Um, one of did the you later ever watch ones, Goosebumps? That's what I was going to say. I did watch Goosebumps. That was right at the point where it was getting to be a little too young for me, and it just didn't seem as... Uh, hard-hitting as Are You Afraid of the Dark did? That might right. have just been a function of my age. But now there's supposed to be like a revival of Goosebumps. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, like so So I've seen a lot Goosebumps of that. Goosebumps is it, in it, it, was a li- it was a little past my time, but my youngest brother used to love those books. Well, I read um, I read Goosebumps uh, voraciously. They're really short, easy-to-read books, so that was actually something that Lil Ali Matu did read. Um, Monster <laughs> Blood and all those other uh, all those other ones I do remember those very well. Um, R.L. Stein, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, number four, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, my number four is also a darker one. Um, and I kind of, it's like, I have this and Outer Limits kind of in the same category. Um, but it's Tales from the Crypt. 
Um, and this was produced by uh, Donner and, and Zemeckis and a bunch of people, like big Hollywood people that you probably know about. It ha- It was the narrator or the person who would do the intros is called the Crypt Master. He became yep. a bit of a cult. He has a bit of a cult following. Um, and this and... and um, Outer Limits, and I guess, you know, as I my, my previous choice, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, they all had kind of like this same thing. They were all definitely trying to be Twilight Zone, and to me, they weren't quite as successful, but it was the same idea. Yeah. You had people and, and in these different situations, and they would, especially in Tales of the Crypt and uh, Tales from the Dark Side, they would take a much more darker turn for the most part. Um, but it, it was these shows that would be on and you just be, they were kind of shows to like scare yourself with, but they weren't always that scary. No, Um, even with the Crypt Master, it was like this terrible puppet skeleton thing. I was a little Um, scared of the Crypt Master. Well, I was at the time, but now looking back at it, I'm just like, oh, that's just (laughs) really strange. Um, so anyway, it was, it was definitely, and again, that was on like, uh, that was on actually a really long time on uh, HBO, I think. 89 to mid 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was there pretty much throughout like my high school years and um so, it was my junior high and high school years. So it was and it, again, you know, it was one of those shows where I would never tell my mom I was watching it because <laughs> uh-huh. she would get really upset about it. So. Same here. You know, I don't think my parents knew I, I had seen Tales of the Crypt and it was my number two. Um, oh, th- oh yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. No, you're not stealing any thunder. I, I don't think I have much more to add to that. I think the reason why it's a little bit higher for me is because I was younger and because we didn't have HBO, it was mm. a little bit more of a... Um, it was more of a controlled substance and hmm. which made it a bit more of a prized property, I would say. So although I didn't get to see it as much, when I did see it, I felt like I was sneaking something I wasn't allowed to be. To yeah, it see. was definitely it, it definitely felt like you were sneaking it. Right. Yes. Yes. Same with me, because it yeah. was like you def- my mom, if she knew that that was going on, she'd be really upset. So. Yeah, well, and it was quite edgy for the time yeah. in terms of the profanity, the gore, the nudity, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, it was it was pretty pretty edgy. Um, so the quality of those shows, you know, I haven't really rewatched much of it. Like, are you afraid of the I, dark? You know, uh, so I there was some like. God, it wasn't Nick at Night, but it was something similar that I I saw, and I watched. I caught part of an episode of, of Tales from the Crypt. It's so bad; <laughs> it does not hold up at all. And it's sort of like, oh, this is what I thought was edgy. Oh, so anyway, but it's but it's still kind of fun. You know what I mean? It, it, as you said, it's it's nostalgia. It's you know from from that time of your life. So. So uh, that takes us to number three. Uh, my number three pick is probably something that holds up much better, which is Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Ah, that's my number two. Ah, so. well, there, so there we go. Um, I'm going to let you take it then, Conrad. Oh, you know, I took yours. So, nah, um, but it sells from the crypt. It's- well, <laughs> well, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So this was something that actually aired originally in like the 60s. And then it had... Um, so did you watch sort of the reruns of this, Ali, yeah, or did you I watch, watch the, the somewhat of a reboot? Because there was Not a there, reboot. No, I, yeah, there was a reboot. I watched uh, the reruns. Um, so I watched both, um, but I was very excited about the reboot and then realized that the reboot wasn't quite as good as the uh, 
as the original. Um, so it, basically, this is something for like the title sequence. I don't know if you remember how well it goes, but when it, we were coming up with this list, I actually watched a YouTube video of it. Mm. And so there's this whole thing with his very um, sort of uh, line drawing of of Hitchcock's profile. Yeah. There's like a, the theme music, which is very uh, like if you hear Pretty it, iconic. Yeah. yeah, you immediately realize that this is, you know, and, and Hitchcock basically is the the person that introduces introduces the episode similar to, to Rod Serling in The Twilight Zone. And it's, um, you know, it, it's an interesting idea and a concept and so it's it's not quite twilight zone but it's you know uh, it was an interesting and well-written show yeah and then pretty high quality right and then um in 1985 they did a revival and i was so excited about it because they would do uh i thought it was going to be you know something a little bit better or similar to what had originally been done but of course it wasn't uh they they did news stories and they uh had basically spliced in but had colorized the the original <laughs> intro with Hitchcock yeah. and it really didn't hold up however this was something that i really enjoyed um I would say that that some of these episodes don't hold up as well as as Twilight Zone. And again, Twilight Zone, I think, is the um, I don't know. It's It's, a gold standard. It is the gold standard. So so what can you say? But um, it was, you know, it was an interesting little time. Um, So how did you get to watch it? Oh, reruns. I don't remember what channel they aired on. Um, but there are reruns somewhere. And uh, this was my first exposure to Alfred Hitchcock. Um, Mm. I hadn't actually seen much of his work until I got to college. And uh, that's when I got exposed uh, to Psycho and North by Northwest and some of these great films that I really love. And I think he's such a master of suspense that um, the, the Alfred Hitchcock Presents has has elements of that. Um, uh, and there are actually a, a lot of different episodes, um, a lot of different seasons, and they're not all great, but there's some gems in there. Definitely well, the one, the one that stands out the most for me that I immediately when I hear that sort of themes on and whatever is the original um the episode that royal doll had written oh yeah do you know what i'm talking about the man the man from the south and that uh starred steve mcqueen in it yeah um as a gambler and he bets uh he makes a bet um and if he loses the bet his finger will have to be cut off yeah Uh, and they remade it um for something else, uh, I think at some point, but that's the one that I that used to always stand out because I'd be like, no. Anyway, <laughs> it, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting idea. So anyway, um, and so, then I think Quentin Tarantino redid something similar to this in. Um, do you remember that that sort of anthology um, movie called Four Rooms with Tim yeah, Roth? Yeah. So this makes some an appearance there as well. So, um, but that, so that's the one I remember the most from this particular series. So that was my number three, your number two. So what's your number three? Um, my number three is, is a bit of a cheat or sorry, my number two rather is a bit of a cheat. Your number um, two was not No, my number Alfred? two. No, my number two is Alfred. Sorry. I'm confusing R two crossovers. Yep, so my number, number three. My number three is a bit of a cheat, but it was uh, PBS's mystery. 
Oh, that's then that's an anthology. It, it is cheap? an anthology, but sometimes they would have you know some of the same characters, but it would be a different mystery every every week, and it had that very famous Edward Gorey opening with the illustration. Um, and so it because PBS was one as we discussed in our last episode, <laughs> PBS was one of the things we got to watch all the time. This was one of the edgier things on PBS that we were allowed to watch, <laughs> if you can believe it. Um, I know, right? Uh, gosh, so hard to believe you can that. see why I was sneaking PBS out to watch. Mystery, is I know, edgy. You, I know it's edgy. It's why I would sneak out to watch, you know, HBO Tales, and Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. But um, but in any case, I did. I did enjoy watching this, um, and um, I think it's part of why I still have such a, a love for for procedural dramas and things like that. Um, you know, Conrad. But- you know how kids who don't get to eat um, a lot of sweets at home, and then every now and then they they kind of sneak out and have candy. From yeah, their that's friends exactly and, what and this is. They go, they go a little crazy. That's what yep. I feel like with baby little Conrad here, watching oh, PBS yeah. at home, and then every now and then going to see Tales from the Crypt and no, totally, Wrath totally. of Khan and seeing all this stuff and be like, oh, oh my gosh, what is all this stuff? <laughs> and it's so, I mean, and it's so like, um, it's so not edgy at all like it's a lot of it's a lot of like agatha christie and inspector lindley and things like that going on um um, i I feel i feel like i should uh yeah um there was also this super weird um series about like uh um uh, he was like a monk cadfell and it's terrible it's terribly good but it's um but that was something that was on and so thinking about that as being like it's like this this monk going around solving mysteries <laughs> you know like <laughs> come on so yeah but what cool. was your number what was your number 2 uh, my number two is Tales from the Crypt, which we discussed. Oh, that's that right. That's right. Just with number one and I'm I'm going to bet money here that I will uh, bet it next boba that we got a mind melt. I think we may. Um yeah. my number one is Amazing Stories. Oh, we don't have a mind melt. Really? Uh, what no, is my, yours? Uh, Outer Limits. Oh, no, I mentioned Outer Limits in my... I combined it a little bit with Tales from the Crypt, but Amazing Stories was definitely my number one, if you got it. Just because... Um, so Amazing Stories was... Um, it was on from 1985 to 1987, um, and it was... Um, really, it had an amazing cast, and it was also created by Steven Spielberg. And this was similar to The Wonderful World of Disney, was something that um, myself and my siblings would love to watch together. Um, And it's, like, I remember being, part of why I put it as my number one is that in terms of these kinds of of stories, it was something that was very imaginative and really just, um, to me, something that I remember very fondly. So... Cool. Well, my number one is uh, The Outer Limits, and um, a little wobbly pick here. I'm picking the 1995 TV series as opposed uh, to the 1963. Yeah. And the reason for that... I remember it, I remember the 95 series more than I do the 63. There's not much to the 63 series. I think it's only a couple of seasons compared to like seven or eight seasons, uh, seven seasons of the new one. And 1963 has the best episode, which is iRobot with Leonard Nimoy um, tying into one of our previous episodes where we were remembering Leonard Nimoy. Um, I love that episode. And he also makes a reappearance or he makes another appearance in the reboot of the Outer Limits um, 
uh, Leonard uh, iRobot episode. But the reason it's my number one pick is uh, I watched it um, intensely <laughs> as it was airing, and it sort of satisfied that Twilight Zone um, uh, niche and need for me. And there's there's a lot of misses, but I think the hits were pretty good, and it, it got pretty close to that which is i think how we're defining all of these episodes is how close they got to replicating the feeling of the twilight zone and i think at mm. times the outer limits uh, got pretty close so um well th- that's i think our- i think i feel like the amazing stories though for me is similar to your um are you afraid of the dark mm-hmm. in that um these were definitely geared towards more towards kids but they were still adult enough that you didn't feel like you were watching kids programming or at least that's how i felt at the time. Yeah. Um, and in addition, the people that were starring and writing these shows um, were pretty, I mean, they got, Steven Spielberg was involved in a lot of them, but for example, they had Richard Matheson, um, who was one of the writers for a couple of these episodes. Um, you know, it, it was really, it, it, for for kids at the time, it felt a little bit edgy. And the stories were, you know, they were Twilight Zone. I don't want to call it Twilight Zone light, but I guess, I guess, kind of. Um, but I don't know how well they hold up hold up now because I have not watched them yeah. since then. I don't know. Have you? No, no, I've not. I've never seen Amazing Stories. Really, you've never seen no. any of them? No. All right. Well, maybe we need to do a movie night or a, an Amazing Stories night to watch a couple of choice episodes. But as long as we get to watch iRobot on Outer Limits. Uh, <laughs> okay. So anyway, those are our top fives. Uh, top five anthologies, uh, dear listeners. We'd love to hear from you. What do we like? Or what did you like? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Let us know. You can contact us at Nerd Hour on Twitter. We also have a fun website where you can um, contact us. That's NerdHour.com. We'll get you there. And uh, Conrad, where can people find you online? Uh, Online, on Twitter, I'm Die Prince. And then you can find me on Reanimated, All Show Zombie, with uh, my good friend Stuart Tiffin. That's uh, Reanimated PCAST. At on Twitter and reanimatedpodcast.com on the interwebs. Cool. And I am Alima too on Twitter. You can find me at Brain Knows Better, where I write about the psychology of science fiction, where I might do a uh, post on Black Mirror sometime soon. And uh, on YouTube, I am uh, the host of The Psych Show. So with that, Conrad, looking forward to our next adventure. And until then, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs>